Amen. Thank you so very much. Let's take our Bibles and let's head to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13 for our Bible study this morning. Revelation chapter 13. If you're just joining with us, what we are doing is a series on end time events and been going through a variety of different events and different topics. And this morning we're going to be talking about Mr. 666. And uh, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about those that ad that was done back in the early 2000s, they came up with this idea that there was the most interesting guy in the world, and then they would say, this guy was great because of this, 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 and if he's so great, then whatever product he's endorsing must be really good, and forget the product. But here's the ideas that they would use in talking about how great this guy was that made him the most interesting man in the world, such as these types of things. Superman has pajamas with his logo on them because he's the most interesting man in the world. Once a rattlesnake bit him, after five days of, five days of excruciating pain, the snake finally died because he's the most interesting man in the world. Rosa stopped to smell him because he's the most interesting man in the world. Mosquitoes refused to bite him purely out of respect because of who he is. His two cents is actually worth $37 in change. He once ran a marathon because it was on his way. It goes on, if he was to, mis was to mispronounce your name, you would feel compelled to change your name to whatever he had said. He won, has won a Lifetime Achievement Award twice. Sharks have a week dedicated to him because he's the most interesting man in the world. And on and on it goes, promoting this guy. Well, let me tell you, there's going to be a guy in the future who is the most interesting man in the world that will captivate people's attention. We're going to call him Mr. 666 for our study this morning, or the term that most of you know him by is he is called the... Antichrist. Okay, let's talk about him. Revelation chapter 13. If you're joining with us, he is a guy that shows up in a time period that is called the tribulation. We've already mentioned that this tribulation is a period of time in the future, but it could be starting any day now. It's in the future, and it's talked about in the scriptures, in the book of Daniel, as well as a lot of the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament. Where we're at in our study is we want to talk about the main characters this morning and this evening. And this morning we're talking about the bad guys. This evening we'll talk about the good guys. Who are the main characters? Now, if you're joining with us for the first time, let's set the scene. The tribulation is the last seven years of human history as it is right now before Jesus comes back. And it is going to be the worst time in all of human history. We've given you timelines. We've talked about how bad it gets, why it gets so bad. But one of the reasons we pointed out last Sunday evening why it gets so bad is because of the amount of evil that is going to be let go and be able to do their own thing. In Revelation chapter 12 and 13 in the middle of describing the tribulation all of a sudden there's a parenthetical thought in chapters 12 and 13 explaining how it got so bad. And in those two chapters, and remember when the Bible was first written, there wasn't chapter divisions. So the author is writing it, inspired by God, and he comes to what we call chapters 12 and 13, and he explains about it gets so bad because there is an unholy trinity. Just like there is a holy trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, there is an unholy trio who are working together, Satan, the false prophet, and Antichrist. And they, they parallel, just as the Father made the plans and he's devising, so Satan makes plan, he devises. Just as Jesus Christ came in the flesh, Antichrist will be the evil in the flesh. Just as the Holy Spirit is promoting Jesus and lifting up Jesus, according to John 14, 16, so the false prophet, as we'll see in a moment, lifts up Antichrist and points to Antichrist. And so as we talk about these guys, 
We'll start with Satan, where we talked a little bit about him last week, explored this passage somewhat last Sunday, so we're not going to repeat everything. But in Revelation chapter 12, if you read it through, it talks about this great red dragon who is described later on and named as, as Satan, as the devil. And it gives the description of what happens to him that he up until that time of the middle of that last seven years, including today, he has the ability to go to heaven, to be able to go there, to talk to God, to give an account of what he's doing, as well as he makes accusations against you and me. That, can, that opportunity will continue until the middle of the tribulation when all of a sudden what happens is there is a war that takes place in heaven and the angels combat one another, Satan and his following angels and the angels serving God and there will be a battle and what will happen is Satan is, con, is kicked out of heaven for good and he is confined to planet earth. He comes down here to the planet earth with great anger, great, great, great wrath it says because he is kicked out of heaven, number one. He wants to make sure he's going to get even with God by going after God's people. And so he comes down to this planet earth with great anger and knowing he has just three and a half years left, 42 months. After all the centuries of trying to thwart God's plans, he's got 42 months. Either he gets it done in that 42 months or he's done. And so he comes down to this earth and he attacks God's people, makes war against the Jews like never ever before. And it's just a vicious, vicious time that he is deceiving the whole world, pulling out all the stops to his anger, his tricks, his miracles. And it is going to be the most deceptive time in human history where Satan and his, his demonic hordes are working in the human race to get them to turn against God and God to turn against the human race. Working with him are two different people. What I'm going to do with uh, the chapter 13 deals second with this guy. I'm going to deal with him first. If you go down to Revelation 13 verses 11 through 18, this talks about the false prophet who is part of this unholy trinity. Now, just make sure we're all on the same page. There are many times through history there have been false prophets. There was false prophets in Jesus' day. There are false prophets in our day. There are false teachers that are going to increase in the latter days. But this false prophet, the one that's called the, the beast that is the false prophet, he is exceedingly worse than any one of them ever. He will do more miracles. He will be more deceptive. He he will be the epitome of false prophets, all wrapped up in one. His story is told in Revelation 13, and if you follow, I'm going to read this text, starting with verse 11. And I beheld another beast, the, the, the first beast is mentioned in the first ten verses that we'll get to. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb. He spake as a dragon. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He, go, he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of man. He deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they shall make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. 
He causes all, both small, great, rich, poor, free, bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So in describing this individual, just highlight a couple different phrases. He's not the one I want to focus on the most of our time. I want to focus on the first beast. But this guy is called a beast, a savage animal from God's perspective. He is similar to the first beast, Antichrist. How do I know that? Because the word another, very clearly in the original language, that uh, they had two words for another. One meant identical to, one meant totally different. This is identical to, very similar to. One who is like a twin of the Antichrist. And so he's going to be very, very closely linked to the Antichrist. And we're talking in that second three and a half year period is when he is going to be most active. He comes up out of the earth. I understand the text. And along with some scholars, and there's a couple, there's some others who have a couple different viewpoints, but I understand that he comes up out of the, the land, the Eretz, the, the earth, that, and I think it's probably referring he comes from Israel. Okay, by contrast to the first beast coming out of the sea, the Gentile world, this guy comes from Israel. He's not out of heaven. That's very clear. Something else that's mentioned, he has two horns like a lamb, which is similar yet different from the first beast that we'll read about in a few moments in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. He has a different number of horns, but they're similar. He's not as grotesque. He's described as a lamb, whereas Antichrist is clearly an ugly, grotesque beast, as we'll see in verses 2 and 3 in a moment. And so as a lamb, it seems to me that that would make him associated with what lambs are typically associated with in the New Testament, that they're usually associated with worship, with sacrifices, that this guy is a religious leader. And that makes perfect sense because he's the one that's going to cause everybody to worship Antichrist. And so he's the religious personality of that threesome. And he spake as a dragon, which we all know from chapter 12, it's Satan. So he is Satan's mouthpiece. He's promoting what Satan wants. Something else that stands out is he works with the beast. We've read it already. He exercises the power of this first beast. So he is one who is powerful, influential, at the right hand, and very, very close to Antichrist has his power, international character, who is going to be uh, having worldwide influence. The, the thing that he does and what he's known for is he creates a new religion. Satan creates it, but he's the one that's implementing it. Uh, now we have multiple religions. And when all of a sudden the tribulation starts, there's going to be a, a falling away, great apostasy right before the tribulation from Christianity. And there's going to be a real embracing of other false ideas. That will grow and grow and grow until all of a sudden in the middle of the tribulation, the false prophets gets rid of all these other religions. And the false prophet declares there is one world religion. And everybody must subscribe to this one world religion. And the one that we're going to worship is Antichrist. He is God, and that'll be, we'll see demonstrated why he does, why he will say that. Okay, the main religion will be this, worship the Antichrist, who is the political and religious leader of the world during the second three and a half years. And the false prophet's job is to promote him, to make sure everybody follows him, that everybody follows this religious system. The way he's going to promote it is he's going to use it by doing great miracles. 
He's going to get people who are, who are uh, you know, right now, non-religious, don't care. All of a sudden they're going to see miracles happening. Miracles uh, that will include fire down from heaven, that statues will, of the Antichrist will literally speak and will produce miracles. But he's also going to not only make the idol, he's going to use the threat of death. And it's going to be very effective. You either worship this Antichrist or you die. And that's very blunt. And it's going to be, okay, I'm going to find out if you're going to worship Antichrist. The test of whether or not you will worship Antichrist is whether you will take his mark. Take the mark of the beast. You've all heard about the mark of the beast. You, you've had some inclination. Uh, TV, movies, they talk about the beast. They talk about false prophet. They talk about the mark. They talk about Antichrist. But when we go to the scriptures and get it all clarified, what happens is this mark of the beast is going to be used to control economics. But it's going to have a religious basis. So it's just not a credit card type thing or a technological thing. It has a religious connotation to it. And what he's going to do is he's going to say, okay, you've got to take this mark and you know, if you want to eat, if you want to be able to live someplace, you've got to take the mark, which means you've got to put it in your right hand or your forehead where you take this mark, which means you're a follower of Antichrist. You subscribe to worshiping him. And so what happens is you either take it or you die. And so that's this false prophet, and he's promoting this one that we call Antichrist, using the mark and all. Let's get a little bit more information, make it bring together. Let's focus in on Antichrist. He's the one that we want to pay attention to as what the world will say is the most interesting man. His story is told in the first half of this chapter. Chapter 13, starting with verse 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea where the false prophet came from the earth, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, his feet were as the feet of the bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his seat, his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed." And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given him to continue for forty-two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme God's name, God's tabernacle, and then that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, all tongues, all nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And if any man have an ear, let him hear he that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. We're going to dissect every little phrase as we go through, but let's just get the gist of this. Okay? When we started talking about this character, some of you are going to sit back and say, well, I think that maybe it's just a personification of evil. I don't think it's a real person. I, I think that maybe it might be something like, you know, the Avengers. Something that here is this guy who's mythological, who is, you know, just given as just an idea of good versus evil, and he's the evil guy. I disagree with you totally, and so does the Word of God. The reason I say that he's a real person is he's called a man multiple times. The personal pronouns, he, him, are used 16 times in this chapter alone, referring to the guy. 
You have others' writings. You have Daniel. You have Jesus. You have the Apostle Paul. You have the Apostle John. All of them inspired by God. Jesus in particular being God who declared this is a man. So if you're going to say that this is just some symbol, if you're going to declare this is just evil of some sort, and it's just an idea, you're going against a whole lot of Scripture and, and people who are walking under the inspiration of the guidance of God. And so he's a man, real man, rising out of the sea of humanity. By the way, the sea several times pictures the Gentile world as a whole in different prophecies such as we give you here. His number is the number of a man, 666. I don't know why the number 666, other than is it because man was created on the sixth day of creation, and that's why his number of the epitome of the most influential man is 666. Makes sense. I don't know for sure. But that makes sense to me. When we go to the scriptures, we call him Antichrist, but most of the scriptures did not. Most of the scriptures gave him different titles. None of them flattering. None of them very positive, as you can look and read and see for yourself. It wasn't until the latter part of the New Testament was written that he's given the title Antichrist. And that is in John's writings, in his epistles, and in the book of Revelation. That's when it first comes up. In John's writings. Jesus, in fact, talks about him. And I shouldn't have capitalized the O on the one. Uh, I should have left a small letter. Jesus is talking in this passage. He says, I come unto you in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But one will come in his own name, and him you will receive. And so Jesus describes this individual as a person, and he makes comment about him later as being the abomination of desolation. So we have all those different titles and the question is, who is it? Who, I, I mentioned in the earlier service that if you go to the internet, they'll suggest it isn't a man, but it's the internet. And one of the reasons that they say it's the internet is because of, you see on the internet, you see a lot of the, the prefix of the internet and a lot of sites you go to is www. The W in the Hebrew alphabet is the Vav, and that's the, that's the title for the W, and it's the sixth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And they would use their alphabet letters to signify numbers as well. So the number in Hebrew for six is the Vav, which is our W. Make sense? Six, 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 whenever you see WWW. Well, I've already pointed out it's not a man. And number two, I got that off the internet. So you know how, how solid that was. So the people for years have been giving suggestions. All the way in the early church history, they said uh, it's Caligula, one of, the, one of the first emperors to do Christian persecution. The reason being is Caligula made a statue of himself and had it put in the Jewish temple before it was destroyed. And then others said, well, it has to be Nero, because Nero was wiping out so many Christians. It has to be Muhammad, Napoleon. It has to be Stalin. It has to be Hitler. It has to be any of the popes. It has to be modern-day different characters from modern society for whatever reasons. And again, I mentioned this a few weeks back. If you use all these silly different ways of figuring who they are, like Ronald, Mil uh, Ronald, Mil uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan, okay, six letters in each one of his, his, in his first name, second name, and last name. Therefore, he must be at. Well, you can do the same thing with Barney the dinosaur. So, you know, where you go with these ideas, the bottom line is we don't know who it is. We don't need to know who it is, okay? Well, he's going to be revealed at the beginning of the tribulation. Right now, we don't know who he is. But what we do know is what he's like. I want to take this text we said his number is 666. I want to just talk about six characteristics 
or descriptions of him given from this text. And we're going to begin them all with the letter W and just give us an idea of who this is and why he does what he does. And starting with the first one, he's wicked. He's extremely wicked. That's his characteristic. That's his trait. How do I know that? Because from God's perspective, verse 1, he's a beast. The word beast has the idea of not like a pet animal, domesticated animal. The word that is used here is the idea of a savage animal that is beyond description. It's a monster by our modern terminology. It is something that is savage, something that's uncontrollable, something that is rabid. And so he calls him, describing him this way, because from God's perspective, this is something bad. This is something scary. This is something wicked. In fact, you look, we already read it. You look at verse 1, and it describes what he's pictured like. He's pictured like. He's, his his uh, symbol to God, when God looks at him, is somebody having seven heads and ten horns. Okay, If you compare that to chapter 12, go to verse 3. Satan has seven hands and ten horns as well. So obviously he and Satan are in cahoots. They look alike. They come from the same family resemblances there that they're tied together. Something else that shows that he's wicked is the dragon, Satan, gives him his power. Gives him his throne, his authority. So he's coming to power. He's coming to influence because Satan's working on his behalf. Satan is his benefactor. So his associations, his ties, make him a wicked person. On each one of his heads, blasphemy, blasphemy. Blasphemy against God, blasphemy against God's tabernacle in heaven. Blasphemy against all of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. He's blaspheming, he's against them, he's wicked. When we go to other passages of Scripture... They, too, will point out his wickedness. The, the story of Antichrist can be found in Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 11. It can be found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then here in Revelation 13. When we take some of those passages, we go like to Daniel 11, and it says, The king, referring to this latter-day king, shall do according to his will and speak astonishing things against the God of gods. 2 Thessalonians calls him the man of sin, or literally a lawless one. One who does his own thing, and the son of perdition, the word means destruction. He's a destroyer. He is one who's trying to wipe things out. People as well as anything that's good. We read that Jesus referred to him as the abomination of desolations. Bad title. Indication of evil. We find out as well that he wasn't always, or will not, future tense, will not always be bad. Okay, right from the beginning, in fact, he's going to come across very good. He's going to come across sharing and showing peace. He will broker a peace deal in the Middle East that has... For all of history, since Israel's been, been uh, in, involved in the Middle East and then been restored in 68, all, since that time, there's been all kinds of conflicts in the Middle East. This guy will broker peace. He will promote peace at the beginning of the tribulation. His thing is peace, 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 and he will have influence. He will be looked at as being the most influential, most interesting man in the world in a very positive way. I'll show you how that happens in a, in a few minutes from now. But he, people are going 
going to admire him. People are going to be wowed by him. But the more power he gets, the more corrupt he becomes, so that by the time of the middle of the tribulation, he's a bad dude. Look what it says in Daniel. In the latter time, talking about the very last days, when transgressions are coming to their fullness, where, there, where evil is being let to, to be rampant, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. His power shall be mighty, but it's not his own power. Where does he get his power from? Satan. Okay. And he shall cause fearful destruction. Remember Second Thessalonians says he is the son of perdition or destruction. He shall destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. And by his cunning he shall make deceit to prosper under his hand. The delusion, the deception, the dishonesty that he will convince people to follow him by his lying and all that he does. In fact, during that second half, he will be indwelt by Satan. He will have the spirit of Satan in him, even as Jesus Christ was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness and other places. So Antichrist will be fully, fully engulfed by Satan doing what he wants him to do. And so we have this idea that he's wicked. Give you another word here. He's worldwide. He's worldwide. Okay, his influence isn't limited to just one area of the world. In fact, you see in verses 2 and 3 that it starts off and it talks about this beast. And then look at verse 2 and 3. It gives a description of a beast. And as soon as I was reading it, I bet a number of you said, hey, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. When we read this idea that I saw one like a leopard and feet were like a bear, mouth as a lion, some of you immediately thought in your minds, that sounds like Daniel's prophecies. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel, who is living in middle in the Old Testament era around 600 BC, Daniel is predicting four major world empires. And he starts with the one that was the big empire at that moment. It was Babylon, and the king was represented by a head of gold, and he's represented by a lion. Then Daniel talked about another kingdom coming, and he names them. He names it's going to be Persia that's going to come and overthrow Babylon. And it's a two-sided, lopsided monster, uh, a bear, lopsided because there's Medo-Persia. It's a combination of two, two kingdoms that they came and they conquered Babylon. And they, he pictured them in Daniel's writings as a bear. Then they said there's going to be another king after that who will dominate the known world, the Western world in that whole Middle East area. And that was going to be one that was represented by a leopard, something very fast. And he names him in Daniel 8 as Greece. Well, we know historically, when Daniel was writing way back here, Daniel was right on target. And then he said there's going to be a fourth empire that's going to come. It's going to be a beast. It's got 10 different toes, and it's got a mixture of iron and clay, and that was Rome. And so Daniel was absolutely correct when we look in history. Now here's John. He's writing at the time Rome is still functional, around 95 AD, and he's looking backwards. And as he looks backwards, he sees this beast, this one that he's living under, Rome, and we know it's going to be a revived Roman Empire. Okay? And he says, okay, I see the beast, and this beast was like a leopard, and like a bear, and like a lion. And he says it just in reverse to what Daniel did, because Daniel's looking forward, and... John is writing looking 
Okay, so it makes, it's perfectly parallel, just in reverse order. And so when you look at his, these comments, and he's, he's got them there for a reason. He's talking about the lion, because if we remember from Daniel 7, the reason Babylon was called a lion was because of their greatness and their power, their might, their, their gold. Their, they, Nebuchadnezzar was considered the greatest of all the ancient emperors. Okay, the smartest, the wisest, the most successful. Then you have the second one that if you study in Daniel chapter 7, the bear, I mentioned it's Medo-Persia, they were known for their ferocity, for their power, their strength. And then we had the last one was, we mentioned was the leopard, the Grecian Empire. They were known for their speed of conquest, how quickly Alexander the Great conquered the known world. Then that last beast that John is writing about, as, as well as Daniel, he is that, this, this creature that is indescribable. It's Rome at that time, and it becomes the revo- revived Roman Empire in this tribulation period out of Europe. And by the way, this makes perfect sense. All the world has been colonized by Europe in history. Correct? Okay. And so the centerpiece of future history is Europe. And so he's talking about this revised European. And the point is that this beast that that John sees rising up out of the sea of Gentile humanity, he says, it's got, it's got, I don't know what word to use. This is going to sound silly. It's got the best of all these empires, previous empires. It's got their their strengths. I'm, I'm saying this tongue in cheek. It's got the ferocity of the bear. He conquers with the speed that Greece conquered in even faster. He has the wisdom of Nebuchadnezzar, but he is vicious. And so this beast is a combination of all these human empires. His empire will be the biggest, the baddest, the bestest of all the human empires. That's his point. Okay, that he's worldwide. And the concept is throughout this text. Not only in the picture, but look at the phrases. All the world. He mentions over all kindreds, tongues, nations. We find that in Daniel 7. The whole earth will be devoured by this, by this wicked one, this Antichrist. And the question you and I have to ask is, well, how does he get so powerful so quickly? How does he do that? Well, it's obvious. He's promoted by Satan and the false prophet. And they've you know, unleashed everything. All of their, their abilities to persuade, to influence through miracles and, and all kinds of deceit. It's going to be at an all-time high. The reason it's going to be successful is there's going to be an attitude of globalism. There's going to be an attitude that we want to be a one-world system. We don't, we don't want to be only us and us alone. And by the way... When has globalism become popular? Still in the future. Right? There's not much talk in politics about working with the whole world. You just heard the president say this week. The president said this week, we have got to reinstate all of our great alliances with Europe. And get everything reestablished. For the last... The last 40, 50 years, well, I'll go back to right after World War I. There was the, all this talk about globalism and globalism. Let's get the League of Nations. Let's get the, you know, the uh, United Nations. We are living in a society that if you stand up and say, let's worry about America, America only, you're not popular. Okay, that, that is not a popular thought. You are thought of being very, very selfish, Okay, so this popular politics, and then there's economics. I mean, seriously, 
Money, where money is, that's what controls. Yes, no? Yeah, does money, con- may, you know, d- does anything happen because of money? Okay, so the economics, he makes it very clear. You don't buy or sell without following me. And so he's going to control, and there will be that physical mark, right hand or forehead, something, how visible, I don't know, but something that they can use to determine you're a follower, you're not a follower. Is it going to be totally visible to the eye, or is it subdermal? I don't know. But it's that idea that they will have something that he has control over, and if you want to buy or sell, that's it. You know, when we first put up a picture of this, one of my first series that we did when we were doing slides in the, in the uh, 90s was one of the first times I put up a picture like this, and some of you went, ooh, wow, you're kidding. Now it's like we don't bat an eye. Getting a chip underneath our skin, that's easy for technology today. Yes? Yeah, and by the way, if, if it were being sold on the market today, and you were asked, do you want to put a chip underneath your skin? Yeah, and then this way, your medical records are right here. So if something happens to you, there they are. They can scan it right away. Can you see a benefit to the chip? Yes, no? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, all your financial records will be right here. You won't lose that credit card. For somebody to sp- steal your identity, they've got to take your hand. Okay. Okay, let's think about that twice. Okay. <laughs> if you're concerned about your kids, what can you do? You can put a chip. And then you know where your kids are. What a wonderful thing. Some wives are going, I'd do that with my husband. Okay, then I'd be able to check up on it. Can you see how it can be sold so quickly? And the technology is there. But there's something, it's not, and please don't do this. Please don't say, oh, then we get rid of all technology. Technology isn't the evil. Okay, technology isn't bad. Technology can be good. Okay, you're, you're thankful for technology right now because you're able to listen to me better. You're able to see me. Okay, it's how technology is used. And in this case, it's not the chip that is evil. It's the control behind it. It's the, what, to get the chip, what do you have to do? You have to sell your soul to the devil. And so you say, well, people won't do it. Well, think about it. You don't worship, you don't get the chip, or the mark. You don't get the mark, you don't buy or sell. You don't buy or sell, you don't have food, clothing, or shelter. Okay, without food, clothing, and shelter, and medicines, you die. Your kids don't get treated. We used to say, well, how will the world buy into this? Right? Right? It's, it's going to be, what would you do? You're living in that time. There's a famine going on. You want to buy some food. You can't grow anything in your garden because of the, the plagues that are happening. So you've got to go to the, you know, got to go to the government store. And you have to buy and get your quota of whatever you're going to get. But the only way you get your quota is if you show your mark. But to get the mark, you have to subscribe to Antichrist. So it's a very impacting situation that he will control this one world religion. So we have wicked, we have worldwide, we have wonder. Okay, we have people wondering at him. Look at the text. The text, I went too quickly. The text means that you are mesmerized. You are fascinated by. You are in awe of. You are shocked at, whoo, this guy. How does he become so interesting to people? Well, here, let's go back to the Old Testament first. He is different from all other rulers. 
all other rulers that he's going to talk different. Yeah, by the way, here's, just, just go all the way. What made Jesus so different to his audience? He didn't speak like other teachers. He was totally different. Antichrist, who's going to be an, a, a, you know, a mock of Jesus, he will portray himself different than other leaders. He is going to be physically attractive. Okay, Does that, by the way, play into politics? Okay, he's going to be physically attractive. He is going to be a great speaker. I'll come back to that one in a few minutes. He is going to be highly intelligent. Well, that took out most of Washington, D.C., for those of you wondering. Okay, when you say, who is it? Well, that just negated a whole bunch. Okay, he's going to be this. He's going to be doing amazing things. The scripture says he has the ability to do miracles. I tell you what, if somebody stood up right now and said, I have the ability to get rid of COVID like that. Would he become popular? He'd become rich, okay? Would he become popular? If all of a sudden somebody came up and said, by the way, I have found the cure for cancer, would that person become a world character? Okay, so he has ability. If he came up and said, I can heal your child or grandchild, wouldn't you subscribe to this guy? Now, I'm not saying you personally, but people as a whole. So he's got great abilities. But according to this text, they wonder, not for those things, they wonder for something else. Did you see it in verse 4? The reason that he mesmerizes most people is it says, one of his heads will be wounded, and then it's going to be healed. Question, what do you mean one of these heads? One of his political allies? Um, one of his positions is lost? Or does it mean that he actually dies and comes back to life? Or at least it looks that way. Okay. Whether he can do it, that's the question, whether Satan brings people back to life. But the point is, it appears like he died and then he comes back to life. Can you imagine, if that's the case, that if it's this guy is pronounced dead, all the world leaders... All the news media are showing this worldwide state funeral. And there he is, lying in state. And then he sits up. Hi, guys. I'm back. Can you imagine how people will be mesmerized with him? That he came back from the dead. That he really came back from the dead. And he's going to tell them what it's like. He's got all this knowledge now. He is this real Messiah. He is Christ. He's resurrected. And so the world's going to wonder after him. Now, the reason I think it's the latter, that he does have some form of death and comes back, whatever the, the extent of that is in the resuscitation. His deadly wound was healed and the world wondered after the beast. Make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. They that dwell on the earth shall wonder when they behold the beast that was, is not, but yet is. And all those phrases give the indication that he died or appeared to die and comes back to life. So the world is going to wonder after him. Let me give you number four. His words. His words that it's mentioned in this passage that it says here about his words, there was given on him to speak great things. Okay? And so with his words, if you go back to the book of Daniel, where he's first being introduced, Daniel four times in the text mentions about how this guy has great ability to speak. That when he speaks, everybody listens. That he just absolutely, 
He awes people by his speech. Now, you know, those, a lot of us, we didn't live in that time. We only see the video clips and we only see the newsreels. But it is amazing what happened, you know, just 90-some, 80-some years ago. How an entire continent was affected by one person who had the ability to persuade with his speech. If you go back and you study this guy's story, this guy was a corporal. He was living on the streets after World War I. He was an addict, you know, to morphine and some other things. And then within a few years, he became the leader of the nation of Germany and led that into, led millions of people. And then and we know all the atrocities. We know of how many, how much devastation there was. And then at the Nuremberg trials, they kept on saying, how is it you followed him? How is it you people, you know, let him do what he did? And he had the secret police. He had all those things. But how did he get such influence? Time, time, time again, they would say, he, he we were just mesmerized by his speaking. He was obviously demonically, you know, inspired. But Hitler had a way to speak. Listen to his speeches. In his speeches, he always starts off real calm, real quiet. He gets everybody's confidence, and they're listening to him. They're listening to every word. And as he speaks, all of a sudden, he gets into where he goes and gets the people and the crowd excited. And they're more excited. And he builds it up and builds it up and builds it up until at the very end, Heil Hitler! And they're just screaming. They were just, they were just you know, absolutely hypnotized by the guy. Is it possible for Satan to duplicate that even better? Absolutely. Let me give you another one. Worship. Worship is in this text. In this text, there are several, ta- several times it mentions they worship the beast. Okay? As many as would not worship the image of the beast would be killed. The worship comes out of Second Thessalonians, where it talks about he who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sits in the temple claiming himself to be God. So that makes perfect sense. He rises from the dead, and then he says, I have all the information about the afterlife, and since I can conquer death and the afterlife, I have the ability to help you to do the same if you worship me. And so they worship him, and he exalts himself above everything that is God, and he doesn't have any regard for any of the gods of his father, nor, the, nor any other god, but he magnifies himself. You know, in verse 4, there's a couple of phrases that threw me. Okay, that are very interesting. Do you, do you see in verse 4 that they make this comment, who is like unto the beast? Do you remember that kind of thought, that question keeps on coming up in the Old Testament? But it's not the beast. There's a phrase that keeps on showing up throughout the Old Testament. Who is like unto the Lord? Who is like unto the Lord? It's a phrase, it's a, it's a question that's repeatedly used amongst people to get them to pause and think, God is amazing. God is amazing. And Antichrist will do the same thing. Antichrist is going to be asking this, the question, false prophet, will pro, billboards will probably read, who is like unto the beast, or the Antichrist? Who is like unto him? And people are going to go, you know, that's a point, that's true. There's nobody like him. Nobody does what he does. Nobody speaks like he speaks. Nobody, nobody has his good looks. Nobody has his way of dealing and solving problems. Nobody has the power like he did to come to bring themselves back to life. Who is like unto the Antichrist? There is something else in verse 4 that struck me. That it starts off, before it says they worship the beast, 
it, starts, it says something else. Look at verse 4. If they worship, who are they worshiping? It says the dragon. Who's that? Chapter 12, it's Satan. Okay, we've already been introduced to that. You mean all these people, our friends, our relatives, our fellow Americans, people who are left behind, living out, that they're going to turn to occult worship? Well, that's what he says they do. You mean they're going to put on black robes, pointed conish hats? They're going to carry crosses upside down? They're going to do all these, you know, satanic, wicked things? You do realize that the scriptures makes it clear that when people get involved with even beautiful looking religious systems that aren't speaking the truth, that in essence they are worshiping Satan. You do know the scripture says that, yes? When people bow down before these statues of beautiful beings, Apollo, Athena, Zeus, saints in heaven, do you, do you know what? Do you know what the scripture describes? When you sacrifice to idols, you are really sacrificing to who? To devils, okay? And fellowship with devils. So whenever there's worship that something is substituted for Jesus, it's demonically inspired. And then that way you're worshiping the devil second-handedly. And so that's what this text is talking about people are going to be doing. And it all fits. The word antichrist, most of you are going to say, yeah, it means against Jesus. But when we go back to the original language, anti meant instead of. Instead of Jesus. So antichrist is really a false Jesus. And instead of Jesus. And so he's a wicked guy. That we said he's wicked. He's worldwide. He's a wonder. His words, his worship. The last one, war. War. For all of people being enamored by him and being attracted to him, here's one of the chief uh, descriptions of him. Who is able to make war with him, the passage says. It was given unto him to make war, and power was given over all kindreds, tongues, nations. Power was given unto him to take peace. This is a uh, chapter 6. This is the sealed judgments that are in the first part of the tribulation, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. He shall, sword, he shall honor the God of forces. His warfare isn't just nation against nation coming under his control. His warfare is given unto him to make war with the saints. They, we're talking Israelites, the Jews, and any who become a believer during this time period. And it says, the horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. And when they, and we'll talk about them tonight, the two prophets that come from God, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them. And so he's involved with trying to bring everybody under his control. If you oppose him, he wipes you out. Terrible, terrible guy. Bad guy. Bad guy. So I come to the end of the message... And you're going, really? Yeah. Come to the end of the message, kind of. Okay. And I go, okay, let's walk away and saying, oh, that was encouraging. That's going to help me out this week. You know, we just talked about the worst dude in all of human history. What does that mean for me? I thought I worked for the worst dude in all of history. So you, now you just told me there's somebody that's worse than that. You know, some wife is saying, I, was mar- I thought I was married to you. Know, what, what do we get out of this? You know, in order to bring something positive out of this passage... We have got to do the most obvious thing in this text. We've got to do what all scriptures does. We've got to magnify Jesus. We've got to point out the real Christ. We've got to say, hey, this guy is all false. He's anti. This is the real person. This is the real person. And you go through scriptures and you say, okay, how do they compare? 
partners with Satan and the false prophet, Jesus is partnered with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Mind me, that contrast alone says it's Jesus. We worship Jesus. He's called the man of sin. Jesus is the sinless man. What, you can't get any greater contradiction and contrast. He, God sees him as a beast. God sees Jesus as the Lamb of God. In fact, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am. You have this. You have the deceiver. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. You have this. You have the idle shepherd in Jeremiah. And you have Jesus called the great shepherd. You have this, this guy focusing, forcing people to worship him. Jesus saying, come ye after me, and I will make you fishers of men. But he leaves your free will intact, because he wants it from your heart. You have this, you have a destroyer of the world, and you have the one who saves the world. Not only spiritually, but he rescues the world from Antichrist at the very end, lest they, the whole world would be destroyed by him. I mean, what bigger contrast can we have, folk? We have Jesus Christ who is far greater. Did you see it in the text? When I read it, did you mark it already? This passage tells us how great Jesus is. It's talking about Antichrist, but did you catch? It's even, it's implied right there at the end of verse 5. Did you catch how Jesus is brought into the, into the passage very subtly? It says that Antichrist will rule for how long at the end of verse 5? 42 months. Let me ask you a question. Is Satan putting that limitation on Antichrist? No, because Satan wants Antichrist to rule. Who puts a limitation and says, you cannot go beyond 42 months? God, Jesus Christ. So who's bigger and better than Antichrist? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So subtle, but so potent, that for all that this guy can do, Jesus has got him boxed in. What a God we serve. Oh, and by the way, he brings it out at verses 9 and 10. In verses 9 and 10, in the middle of this text, now remember, this is being written to even people that are going to be living in that time period. And they're going to be reading their Bibles, and they're going to be saying, oh man, this Antichrist, this false prophet, they are so bad, they are so bad, nobody can stand against him. Who can make war with him? Who is like unto the Antichrist? And between the two descriptions of these two human beings that are the worst in all history, you have verses 9 and 10. And 9 and 10 give hope to the reader. They give hope to us. It says this, if any man has an ear, by the way, how many of you have an ear? Okay, We're all supposed to listen to this. He that leads people into captivity shall what? He's going to go into captivity. By the way, this is like you reap what you sow. Okay? Antichrist, be sure your sin will... Yeah, this is, you put people in captivity, you're going into captivity. You kill people by the sword... You're going to be killed by the sword. You're going to be taken out. This is for the saints. This is for your patience, he says, as he wraps up that, that little that phrase in there. You folk, he says, listen, folk, you can just trust me in this, that even though these guys are so big and bad, I am better, bigger, and more powerful than them. I will win in the end. That's what this story's about. This story isn't about just evil you know, coming to its final completion of being, being victorious. It's about evil is going to have its final heyday, but it's going to be put down once and for all. 
and that Jesus will be the winner. I mean, just think about it. At the very end of this entire account of human history, this guy, with all of his vanity, is going to try to destroy Jesus. And we read this last week, where we read in verse in chapter 19, these words, words, I saw the beast, verse 19, and the kings of the earth, their armies, gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet. They, they want to knock Jesus off the horse as he's coming from heaven. They get taken down. He says, the false prophet to which did the miracles, he that deceived everybody. He says, the people who worshipped him, they're both cast alive where? Where does God put them? Where does Jesus put them? In the lake of fire. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. That's what this story is all about. Jesus is the winner. And yet, and yet, people will look for substitutes all the time. Okay? Jesus Christ is going to be the one who is, he is the Savior. There is no other substitute. Jesus is the one by which every, everyone needs to call upon his name to be saved. He's the only one, only name under heaven given among men whereby we get saved. There is no other substitute, not a preacher, not a church, not anything you do. It's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus Christ who helps us, who gives us strength. It's Jesus Christ who gives believers confidence. And we as believers... We look and say, how foolish of those people in those days. But what do we do? We turn to other stuff. We look to Washington, D.C. at times to solve all of our problems. Jesus Christ is the one we're supposed to turn to. Not some politician. We, we, we get all caught up with, oh, the problems and the, the woes and the difficulties of COVID and everything else. And people will turn to drugs or drink or whatever to just help them to get rid of their anxieties. Turn to Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ. Oh, I've got so many problems. I need to have somebody give me, uh, give me you know, the answers. Go to the Word of God. Have you been going to Christ this week? Have you been relying upon Jesus this week? Have you been praying to Him? Have you been asking Him for guidance? He is the Great One. He's the one we're supposed to be worshiping. He's the one we're supposed to be dedicating our lives to. He's the one that we're supposed to be yielding to. Not our checkbooks, not our families, but to Jesus Christ. He is the great one. Let's make sure this week we serve him. Father, thank you. Thank you for this clear illustration of how even the worst people in all of history, they pale in comparison to you. And because of your awesomeness, because of your greatness, how we ought to be encouraged to stay true to the Word of God, to worship you no matter what pressures come by, to know that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. If there's anyone here with heads bowed, eyes closed, who does not know Christ as their Savior, do not know you're on your way to heaven, I want to give you this opportunity right now, here in this moment that you would call upon Christ. You're not sure about your eternal destiny. You need Jesus. He is the one that saves. He is the truth. We have individuals from our staff that are going by the side door of the auditorium right now, willing and waiting for you to get up, to go over to them, and to say, hey, can you show me from the Bible what I need to pray this day, what I need to do? And they will gladly do that so that you get Jesus as your Savior, your Lord. You can do that while I'm praying. You at home. 
who are praying with me right now, you could call upon Christ right now by bowing your head, asking him to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. He died for you. He gave his life for you. He wants to give you eternal life. Call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do that. If you're unsure, call us. Contact us. We'll get back to you ASAP to show you how to make sure you're following Jesus Christ so that he can save you from your sin for all eternity. Father, thank you for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's him. And help us to live that way this week, we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tonight we'll pick up on the good guys. See you later.